Hello and welcome to the podcast edition of ANC's Matters of Fact. I'm your host, uh, Christian Esguera. Now, uh, today is the first day of the modified enhanced community quarantine that was declared by the president uh, more than a day ago. Uh, of course, this was in response to a request or appeal coming from the different medical societies here in the Philippines. So they were requesting for an enhanced community quarantine, but the president decided to uh, reimpose uh, uh, a less stringent form of ECQ, which is the MECQ. Now, this covers Metro Manila and uh, nearby provinces. Uh, now, for, the, for, this, uh, for today's podcast, for this week's podcast, we have with us... Uh, former Health Secretary um, Esperanza Cabral, uh, who I understand was, uh, was also consulted um, occasionally by the Interagency Task Force uh, on the Philippines' uh, COVID response. Thank you very much for joining us on this podcast, uh, Dr. Cabral. Thank you very much, Christian. Okay, let's start with this appeal by, by the different medical societies. Uh, you, you could see the frustration coming from the doctors, the medical frontliners. Uh, but what do you think of the way uh, the president responded to this appeal coming from the medical professionals? Basically, uh, before uh, granting the request for a stricter lockdown, he castigated them for making their, their concerns public. Uh, well, I think that um, all of the medical community were taken aback by the reaction of the president because in effect, he did not just castigate the, the medical community, he actually uh, threatened them and said that um, they, they should not do this, that if they wanted a revolution, they can do it now. So all of the medical community were asking, where did that come from? Because they never said that they wanted to have a revolution, they, they had no uprising in mind. They only wanted to let the president know what their concerns were and what they felt needed to be done at this point when the healthcare system was being overwhelmed by the number of cases of COVID-19 that they have had to deal with. Mm. I, I think the letter itself was quite clear, if only the president actually read it. Uh, but, but again, the response was quite uh, surprising and also very unfortunate if you talk about the, the, the hardworking medical frontliners. Now, after that, we, we, we saw another letter coming from the medical societies, coming from the Philippine College of Physicians, uh, basically clarifying their, their first letter to the president and also apologizing uh, for the way the message was taken in a negative light. Do you think this, this was something that the frontliners, including yourself, I think you were covered by this, right? Was this something that uh, you guys had to do? Those organizations do, so. Oh, so did, did they have to do this? To apologize and clarify? Well, of course they did not have to do, to do that, but they felt that it was appropriate given the reaction of the president, which they felt was not the reaction that they wanted. On the other hand, maybe after some second thoughts, the president with the advice perhaps of some people close to him, um, I think maybe uh, reached out to the medical community through his other people and asked them what they wanted to happen about the issues that they raised. So how exactly did the president uh, reach out to the medical professionals, to the medical frontliners? This was after the statement that he made, right? Yes, yes. What, what did well, he do? Well, people were called to a meeting or several meetings actually yesterday by the National Task Force as well as the IATF. And I was invited to one of those meetings where the medical groups again presented the issues that they raised in the letter and presented an offer to help if necessary or if the government wanted that and offered the solutions that they felt could be done in order to remedy the situation. But was the president there or not? No, it was Secretary Galvez was there, Secretary Dizon was there, 
Secretary Villar was there, uh, Secretary Duque was there, and even Senator Cayetano was there. This was held where? In Malacanang? Sorry? This was held this in Malacanang? This was an online thing. Ah, sorry. Um, no, I, 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 mean, I, I mean, they were in Malacanang, but uh, this was done online, right? This was done online. I think they were all in in wherever they were. They were not in one place. Okay. So so the, the doctors uh, were able to articulate uh, further the concerns that they raised in the letter. So so how was the mood during the... Uh, was that a consultation, basically? Yes, it was a consultation. It was quite congenial. Um, the physician said that uh, they had no idea. They, they, of course, did not have revolution in their minds. And the IATF took that and sabi nga ni, Doc, ni Secretary Galvez, nagtampo lang ang presidente. <laughs> so, I think what happened, according to him, because everybody got to know about the letter and he was the last to know. But, but, but uh, technically, th those concerns that were raised by the doctors, by the medical frontliners, they were no big secret, actually. Uh, no. I, I, mean, I mean, you could see those things happening what right before happening? your eyes, right? Yes. So, so why the big fuss over it coming from the president? Well, you'll have to ask the president. But, I, I mean, have no idea what's going on in his mind. But, I mean, I'm just thinking out loud. Uh, for, for, for something that is quite obvious, uh, I mean, and, and for a leader to get offended uh, over it, I mean, th this was no big secret. I mean, the, the, the concerns that they raised, the ri rising number of COVID-19 infections in the Philippines. So uh, mm -hmm. personally, I was wondering what, what offended him with, with a letter which actually uh, included a lot of recommendations, very concrete recommendations. Yeah, well, as I said, that is what uh, the spokesperson said. And also what uh, Secretary Galvez said, that the president was nagtampo because he got to find out, he got to find out about the letter. Um, he was the last to find out about the letter. Everybody knew about it because it had been um, spread through social media and then through the press conference before he got the letter. But uh, how was the mood among the medical frontliners? Because uh, I was looking at the uh, at social media, you could sense yeah. uh, a lot of frustration, if not anger, coming from the frontliners because they they feel. Uh, I know that you guys feel that this is the last thing that you you would need at this time. Yeah, of course, there were very many things going on in the minds, and there were many things that they were feeling. Um, as you said, some of it frustration, some of it anger, some of it fear also. Fear of retribution from the president and the government. Just this morning, I actually woke up to several posts in many of the Viber groups that we had that said, you better delete any entry that might be seen as contrary to the government from your social media accounts because we understand that the president has instructed the NBI or whoever agency of government to look into this. So, syempre, lahat ng doktor ngayon siguro ang ginagawa na dinidelete nila ng dinidelete lahat yung mga Facebook posts nila na nagagalit sila or nagtatamor or they're frustrated or whatever. So, you know, the doctors are really a very docile group. Let's put it that way. I, I mean, Filipinos are docile as in general. But perhaps you can say that doctors as a group are even more docile. They just want to do whatever it is they're doing. They don't complain, even if they're not given the proper compensation, even if all of their benefits are being taken away from them. They just keep taking it in mm -hmm. without complaining. And occasionally, they will come out and say, hey, something is happening. Let's do something about it. And if this is the kind of reaction that they're going to get, then the next time, they will be even more afraid to say anything. Yeah, precisely. Now, in your case, uh, where did you get that message, that, that warning that you talked about? 
Oh, from the Viber groups that I have. I mean, uh, a Viber group among medical professionals, which included yes. you. Yes. But, but, but how credible was the warning? Meron ba talagang ganon? I have no idea. I have no idea. But you know, uh, if you get a message like that in your Viber group, you're not going to verify anymore. Mm -hmm. You're just going to say, just in case it is true, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, so, so in short, the, the, the outburst of the president against the medical frontliners that, sent, uh, a chilling, that had a chilling effect among the doctors. Absolutely, right. They, I don't think they want to be apprehended under the Anti-Terrorist Act or whatever. <laughs> in, your, in your case, did you have any uh, posts of such sort? I mean, anything negative? Did you post anything, something like that? Well, fortunately, I'm not on Facebook. Oh, okay. <laughs> I social media accounts. So, no. So how, how about the, the other doctors in your group? What did they do? Did they decide to, to delete the posts? I, I, have, not, I have not looked because mm. I was very busy preparing for meetings this morning. So, I have not looked. So, so in this case, for example, we, we know that the medical frontliners are very important. They're, you guys are the ones who are actually uh, dealing with the, with the crisis, with the pandemic face-to-face. -face. And then you have a response coming from the president, which was not palatable, to say the least, uh, for, for medical frontliners. How do you think this could affect the morale? Uh, and at the same time, the, 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 the response. We know that you guys are very professional, but I'm sure everyone looks up to the president for, for guidance uh, because he is supposed to lead the country uh, during the pandemic. Well, the reaction was uh, what it was. The medical groups, as you said, wrote a second letter explaining that they have no intention of starting a revolution. All that they wanted to do was bring to the president's attention the fact that the health system is about to collapse, that the healthcare professionals are really very tired from taking care of all of these patients. Some of them have gotten sick and a few of them have actually died. So they just wanted to do this. They did not have revolution in mind at all. Mm. And they just wanted to offer their help if that is necessary and the government wants it. And they also said that these are the things that we think can be done. Mm. Now, what, what was resolved during the uh, IATF consultation with, with, with you guys? What was resolved? Uh, the last word was that they will take the inputs of the doctors into consideration when they recalibrate their national action plan. So in particular, because uh, I'd like to look at the recommendations, I think there are at least, uh, at least seven recommendations coming from the PCP. <laughs> and other yes, medical yes. societies. Uh, I mean, was uh, everything was adopted or would be considered? Uh, there was no official adoption of anything. Mm -hmm. The doctors were just told that they will take the inputs of the doctors into consideration in recalibrating the national action plan. The other thing they said was they will set up a system for regular meetings with the doctors so that they can tell the doctors what they're doing and then the doctors can give suggestions. Uh, so as a result of this uh, controversy, Malacanang, the IATF decided to, to open further the communication lines. So in case the doctors want yeah. something, they're uh, good, yeah. Want, want to, in case they want to tell something to the, to, to, to the president or to the IATF. Yes, yes. Okay. To now, go through the IATF. Now, uh, how, how, let's talk about the, the bigger problem here. Of course, this is one irritant uh, that we don't actually need at this time uh, since we're dealing with the, with the worsening crisis, with the worsening health crisis, if you go by the, the numbers every day. Uh, this is considered as a window of opportunity for the government and for the rest of us to do something to recalibrate, as you mentioned. But... Uh, We've been on a lockdown for more than four months. Uh, yeah. Realistically, what can the government specifically do in two weeks that it failed to do in more than four months of a lockdown? Um, by way of 
implementing the national action plan and recalibrating the national action plan they can look at the national action plan again see where they can improve but but really you know the national action plan is not bad okay it is very similar to all of the national action plans in other countries and very similar to the suggestions that we have made it is a matter of implementing it at scale and with speed palagi namang ganun eh sa totoo lang masyadong mabagal ang kilos at saka kokonti yung ginagawa hindi naman pwedeng gagawin mo ng konte and then you think na mag-spread na yun sa lahat at tapos mai-implement na yon you need to monitor and make sure that things are really being implemented the way they should be. And while doing this, evaluate and make sure you are reacting to the concerns and problems that come up as the plan is being implemented. It cannot remain a plan. But, you know, Filipinos are notorious for making really good plans. They're also notorious for not being the implementers that should do what they are supposed to do. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's true. Uh, but but yeah. let's, let's talk uh, about specifics. Uh, regarding a national action plan, which particular part of it do you think is not working? For example, let's talk about uh, contact tracing. Uh, we've heard this before. You yourself had been calling on government to improve contact tracing. Uh, what should be done at this point? I mean, let's talk about concrete terms here. Okay, we are very late in the game as far as contact tracing is concerned. And it is not going to be as effective as it should have been if we had done this when there were fewer cases. Because now, we have widespread community transmission okay, in pockets, in clusters, where before we had maybe one or two people carrying the virus now we have lots of people doing that and on top of that when we test these people we get the results after one week it is too late mm. by the time that positive person would have been in contact with 100 other people instead of maybe just one or two before he can be isolated so uh, it is a much more difficult job now than it would have been, say, three, four months ago. Just the same, um, we need to do this. So we need to get help from examples that are there of good contact tracing systems. We need to use technology if we have it. Most importantly, we need to get the people on our side mm. so that if, they get exposed. They do not hide their exposure because this is happening. Many people will deny that they have been anywhere, will deny that they have been exposed to somebody and they may possibly have COVID. So we need to get it such that the people will say, yes, I was exposed and test me and then I'll tell you who else I have exposed myself to because if that doesn't happen then the contact tracing is going to be very ineffective mm -hmm. but of course we have to deal with the numbers that we have now uh, more than 106,000 yeah. uh, confirmed yeah. cases uh, yeah, but I mean, I mean how, how should we do it now huh? oh yeah we, we have uh, far fewer uh, active cases definitely yes, Pero, yes. in this case what adjustments can be made in terms of contact tracing? Kasi nga madami na eh. Sustain the community uh, transmission eh. Yeah. Well, um, what happened was um, si General Magalong, who is the tracing czar, right? Yeah. I did, did a survey of all the municipalities and cities in the country and found that only four out of this 600 of the 1,800 who responded have the capability for contact tracing. So, ang kailangan mo nang i-build up is yung capacity. Mm -hmm. And they need to do this in the areas where the transmission and the incidence of COVID is highest. So, that would be NCR, that would be Cebu, 
that would be the nearby regions like 3 and 4A because this is where the cases are concentrated. So this is where you need to do your contact tracing. Just the same, we cannot neglect the areas that are not yet high in incidence because if we do that, then for sure later on with time, they will also have high incidence in their places. So mm -hmm. they also need to be prepared and to get ready. And I think it's very good for them to be capacitated now. So in case they need to do it, more contact tracing, they'll be able to do it. Uh, what do you think of this uh, of this effort by the government to send out uh, locally stranded individuals back to the provinces? We know that uh, they're, they're encountering their their own difficulties here in Metro Manila. But one concern is that despite the measures being implemented by the government, by the DOH, uh, these people could also still serve as some sort of uh, super spreaders uh, of the infection. Do you agree now but with some suggestions that perhaps it's better to suspend this, uh, this program in the meantime? No, I think what they should do is make sure that these people that they're sending over to the other low incidence areas are not super spreaders. So number one is they need to test these people. Second is they need to give them an environment where they themselves are not going to infect each other. Because you see what happened to Rizal Memorial Stadium, right? Yeah, yeah. Thousands of them, they didn't even have a place to lie down. They mm. all were just seated there, side by side, okay, touching each other. And if just a couple or maybe three or four of these people were positive to start with, by the time they get sent out to the provinces, they would have infected dozens of others. Mm -hmm. So, so, so they have to be strict. They have to be strict. This, this way, right? Mm -hmm. I, I've, I've, I've also been hearing certain suggestions saying that uh, perhaps it's high time to identify publicly those who have tested positive for COVID nineteen supposedly to make contact tracing uh, much easier because let's say someone's name has been announced in public and then I saw that this guy, uh, that I had come in contact with, with this guy. Uh, what do you think of this suggestion? Make them public, name them. Well, I'm not an expert on our privacy laws, so I don't know to what extent we can do that. But if that is feasible, that is certainly a good way of doing it for efficiency as far as contact tracing is concerned. I know some friends who tested positive for COVID-19 who voluntarily announced on social media, in their Viber groups, I have COVID-19. And I'm telling you this just in case uh, we were together in the past several days and I don't remember or I have not reached out to you. Please know that I have COVID-19 and that you should take some steps to make sure that you don't have it or if you have it to make sure that you get the care necessary and if you have it that you do not infect others. Uh, so that's um, a way of doing it, asking people to do this voluntarily uh, aside from making it compulsory for them. And maybe we can start that way. And uh, uh, what needs to happen is the environment needs to be um, an enabling environment. In other words, they are not, people are not going to stigmatize them for having COVID-19 and so forth and so on. Because that happens too. And that could also further discourage others from uh, seeking help. Absolutely. Yes, after yes, feeling right. or exhibiting certain symptoms, right? Correct. Yeah. Oh. Now, I, I think uh, it's also important to talk about this, uh, this suggestion coming from the medical frontliners. I think this was mentioned uh, as early as April. Uh, the warning against making use of uh, rapid antibody tests uh, as a way to screen workers uh, before they can be allowed to, to go back to work. Uh, Again, for the benefit of our listeners, let's talk about why we cannot just rely on um, 
rapid antibody testing kits, for example, as a way to clear workers to go back to work? Okay, I have a different take on that, okay? For me, number one, we have to know that all the tests are not perfect. And that includes not just the rapid antibody test, but also the PCR, which they say is the quote-unquote gold standard, okay? Yeah. Number two, the efficiency and accuracy of these tests depend on the time when you take them. And that is the same for both PCR and rapid antibody tests. In other words, these tests, whether it is PCR or rapid antibody test, should not be used indiscriminately. I think that is what they are pointing to. Yeah. The Department of Health actually accepts, and as many other doctors do, that, and even the ones who are saying that maybe the rapid antibody test, because it is being used indiscriminately, has helped increase the number of cases. Yeah, that was mentioned in the letter. As a protocol that says, this is how to use the rapid antibody test. And this is how to use the PCR. And they can be used to complement each other in order to make a better diagnosis or a better clinical decision. So mm -hmm. those are the things that we need to do. We cannot uh, condemn rapid antibody tests just like that. Neither should we praise to high heavens another type of test just because that is their favorite test. We need to tell people how to use them properly in order to get the best um, and most cost-effective use of them. For example, the PCR test, even if you have the virus, is likely going to be negative until after you have had symptoms. Mm -hmm. So we all know that there are people who will develop COVID, but there are a few days when they are already infected with COVID but do not present symptoms. In that time, because the viral load is still relatively low, they may also test negative, okay? And you may also get a false sense of security when you get finally get the cough and the sore throat and the fever, you will say, ah, hindi COVID ito kasi I tested negative two days ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You see? I get it, oh. Same way with a rapid antibody test. If you use it prematurely, it may turn out negative, but after a few days, you will have the COVID signs and symptoms. And the rapid antibody test is more cost-effective even after a longer time than the PCR. So in other words, if the yield for PCR is best, three to eight days after you develop symptoms, for the rapid antibody test, it is best from six to 14 days after you have developed the symptoms. So if you test yourself outside that period, the yield is going to be low. So okay. that is the education that people need to have hmm. when to do the test in order for it to be most reliable. Okay, it's very good that you explained that, uh, doctor. Uh, for example, we know that we expect a lot of companies to make use of tests uh, before allowing their workers to go back to work after the uh, modified enhanced community quarantine, uh, which ends on, April, uh, on August 18. So what sh how should they make use of this test? Or is it even logical to actually uh, test everyone? For example, using rapid antibody tests, for RT-PCR, assuming that they can afford it. I mean, what would be the best, uh, uh, best approach to, uh, as a way to clear their, their workers? The best approach is if the laborer or the employee is symptomatic, then the patient should not be allowed to go back to work. Okay. If the patient is asymptomatic and has not been, do not, does not have a history of exposure to COVID, then that person may be allowed to go back to work even without a test, whether it is PCR or rapid antibody test, so long as this person practices the health protocols that we have 
advised, which means wearing a mask, keeping physical distance, washing your hands, etc., etc. And so long as the employee uh, makes the work environment relatively safe. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. It means if it is an enclosed space, then the um, then there should be some method for either filtering the air within that place or if possible open the windows so that air can freely come in and out. So also they should be sanitizing the place whether there is COVID there or not. Every day that place should be cleaned as much as they possibly can. Things like this. And everyone, uh, not just the employees including the bosses, they have to be responsible, right? After they Absolutely. leave the workplace, they have to be responsible yes. during transportation yes, and at home. Places where they can expose themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also important to remind the people to, to be more forthright uh, when it comes to possible exposures, right? Because uh, the, the declarations would be meaningless if they won't yes. put in the right information. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, I think one, another problem here is this. Uh, we've had the, one of the longest lockdowns in the world. Uh, in response to the pandemic but how do you break this cycle how do you make uh, things uh, somehow sustainable because the last thing that we would want is to let's say after we suppress the numbers during the next two weeks and then we relax the restrictions once again and then there are there are projections that the numbers would again increase how do we break this cycle of uh, uh, going on a lockdown and then uh, easing lockdowns i mean this might be endless until a vaccine is uh, developed well, as difficult as it is for all of us, the government is right in that eventually the control of the virus will depend not so much on them, but on us. So we need to take and own our responsibility for controlling this virus by heeding the advice of health experts about what they should do in order to reduce their chances of getting exposed and infected by the virus and what we sh they should do in case they are exposed or infected by the virus. So there has to be a shared responsibility uh, among individuals. Yes. You cannot just uh, rely yes. on the government, right? Yes. The government cannot shift the responsibility entirely to the public. Mm -hmm. But the public must accept that they have this responsibility and exercise it. Okay. Now, I'd like to go back to another issue. I think we talked about this uh, two weeks ago when the president uh, made that statement that you could, we could disinfect uh, and reuse our face masks uh, using uh, diesel and gas. And then afterward, Malacanang said that the president, kilala uh, naman ang presidente, na, he's just joking. But after that, the president corrected his own spokesperson. Yes. No, I was not joking. It's true. You can't disinfect. You're, you can you can use kerosene as a disinfectant. I mean, this sounds funny today, right? But looking at yeah. the, the gravity of the situation, and again, the president saying that he was not joking, we know we know that is not true. I mean, how should the the people around him deal with such uh, bogus statements, uh, knowing that such statements could have a very uh, negative, if not fatal, impact on the people on the ground? Well. Since they are the president's men, they cannot really um, directly contravene what he says. So what has happened the second time is nobody has said anything. Oh, they just but, kept quiet. Yes, but the Philippine Society of Chemists actually said that this is not true. You are in danger. You are endangering yourselves if you follow the advice of the president. Mm. Um, as I said before, uh, whatever the president utters becomes policy and people take him at face value, especially a president as popular as President Duterte, mm. whose appeal is not just to people like us, but more to the people who are less educated, less informed than us. Mm. So when they hear him say something like that, they can or they might take him at face value. Does they this, do uh, not capacity to think that mali yata yung sinabi ng presidente. Yeah, because ordinarily, somehow, 
you, you might say na logic tells you that that could not be done. That should not be done. Uh, using kerosene as a disinfectant. But but again, as you mentioned, some people might take that statement on face value. But but uh, does it actually make things more difficult for you when, for example, dealing with, with patients uh, out in the field? Of course, because they will say, as you know, President. I'm pretty sure that you have no such. Uh, uh, experience similar to something like this, right? When you were the health secretary under President Gloria Macapagal-Royo because she was very careful with her statements, right? Yeah, she's very careful with her statements. But, but, but again, um, if you were the health secretary, I mean, how would you tell it to the president given that he's very, you know, he might be, he, he seemed to be, he seems to be mercurial, right? He easily gets uh, yeah. pissed off the, there might be an outburst, no? Yeah. Well, syempre maninimbang yung mga secretaries niya, pero talagang aabot din sa punto na hindi na pwede. Kailangan mo na siyang pagsabihan talaga. Is this such an And instance? The way he wants to, wala tayong magagawa din. Yeah, pero that makes things more difficult for the other people around him because they would need a lot of explaining. They would have to do a lot of explaining, right? instead of focusing on the yeah. more important issues. Yeah, and that's why I said that the Secretary of Health will have to come to a point where he will have to contradict his principal because it becomes a matter of life and death for the public. Mm. Now, speaking of the Health Secretary, uh, Secretary Duque, I think before you were appointed, right? He, he was appointed first, right? Yes, you, yes. This he was, was ahead of me. Okay, so, but right now, I think it's uh, definitely is facing a much, uh, a much more serious problem today in a second stint as DOH secretary. Yeah. What do you think of this uh, demand coming from different quarters for the president to sack him? And of course, the president already said, na, why would I sack him? He wasn't the one who brought COVID-19 here in the Philippines. What do you think yeah. of this? Well, I, everybody's entitled to his own opinion. And I'm referring to the fact that these people saying fire Duque can say that and give the reasons why. Unfortunately, there is only one person who Duque has to please, and that is the president. He, you know, he can get all of these brickbats, but if the president says, you stay there, I have trust in you, and defends him, then we cannot do anything. Yeah, because and he's the appointing power. Oh. Yes, yes. And, and the others will just either work with that, work around that, or turn their backs away. But, but others are also appealing to Secretary Duque, appealing to his sense of delicadeza, sense of propriety, that uh, despite this persistent defense coming from the president, perhaps you yourself should step down. Do you think he should do this? Well, that's up to him and up to the limits of his uh, delicadeza. It's not his again, diba? Parang ano yan, yung inhibition, eh, no? Sometimes, personally, diba, makikita mo naman, for example, in Japan or in Australia, cabinet ministers will resign for reasons that we think will be flimsy. Okay? But as far as the delicadeza and principles are concerned, this is the right thing to do. Hindi naman ganun dito sa Pilipinas at hindi lang si Dr. Duque yan. Karamihan ang pinapag-resign, sasabihin, ba't ako magre-resign? Wala naman akong ginagawa. At ang nag-appoint sa akin ay hindi naman nagsasabi na mag-resign ako. So, iba-iba talaga. But, but do you think it's actually doing a, a good job now? Uh, he can do a better job. <laughs> he can do a better job leading. He can do a better job communicating. But then, who is the person who cannot do a better job? Maybe, ganun din yun. Depende sa limit. Kung palagay mo talagang sobra nang he's not doing a good job and he should go. Or pwede pa, miski na he's, he's not doing a very good job. Nasa sa, nasa sa kanila yun eh. Yun yeah, definitely. I'm asking these questions because you have uh, you are in a unique position to 
you you have a unique perspective having been there, right? Because yeah. mar- maraming hindi alam yung publiko, people like us, uh, when it comes to the inner workings of the Department of Health, we have to go by what what is actually reflected uh, coming from the policy, coming from the government, coming from the DOH. Pero at this time, for example, what do you think are the the most glaring inadequacies uh, under Duque's leadership? And is it even, let's say, fair to uh, put it squarely on him? I mean, to blame him? That, that's a very, very good question. And as you said, I'm in a position where I can understand uh, how things can go wrong, how things can slow down, um, even if you wanted to do something, and even if you know that that is the right thing to do. Kasi, miskin na ikaw ay secretary, hindi naman ikaw ang gumagawa ng lahat ng bagay. Um, in the Department of Health, the people there are very nice and very good. And they will generally obey whatever it is they are told. They will say uh, what is in their minds if you ask them. But if you do not ask them, they will not say anything. Okay, culture culture But in general, the people in the Department of Health um want to do what is right and given the opportunity as well as the tools to do what they're supposed to do they will do it but as i said the function can be carried out only if the environment enables them i will give you an example when budgets are released and maybe this is not as true as it was during my time they eat this released piecemeal and towards the end of the year like october november nagmamadali sila na i-release ay yung pera that they should have released maybe january or early or first quarter of the year but and then tell you pag hindi mo yan ginastos by december 31 oh, hindi yeah. mo na yan pera use it lose it rule miski na magbabaligtad yung mga tao doon hindi nila kaya gawin yon to do what needs to be done in one year in three months hindi uh-huh. nila magag so doon po papasok yung problem ng ano absorptive capacity ng department because of the delay in the release okay. yeah so okay now that is one problem but but they also see uh, certain uh, problems when it comes to the the way the response was structured the COVID response was structured. For example, you have the IATF, you have the National uh, Task Force. Uh, supposedly, ordinarily, people would think that uh, during a pandemic, it's the health secretary should really be who, who should be really on top of the situation, telling the president uh, or advising the president what to do. But in this case, he's surrounded by ex-military officers, ex-military generals, you have their Senator Bongo, uh, who heads the Committee on uh, Health at the Senate, pero laging kasama sa mga meeting. Parang, do you also see this as some sort of a complication on the part of uh, Secretary Duque that how could you move when on paper you're supposed to be on top of the situation? But in reality, there's so many uh, other personalities that, that have been given so much power and they are surrounding you. Um, okay. I don't know how it came about, okay? but I can tell you that if you talk to the chief implementer, for example, Gen, uh, Secretary Galvez, he actually defers to Secretary Duque and to the Department of Health when they say this is um, the policy uh, that you need to implement. He's not going to go against that policy. He will implement whatever it is they say. He should be implementing. So I do not think that um, Secretary Galvez, for example, is uh, is overpowering the Secretary of Health, who after all 
is the chairperson of the IATF. Yeah. So they defer to him and they but listen to science, the right? Health would exercise more decisiveness, more leadership, because I know that the secretary in the national implementation team, the chief implementer is always ready to do and to defer to what he wants. So that means the health secretary as the head of the IATF, they think he should be more decisive? He should be more clear or yes. firm? Yes, correct. In, basically, we're looking at uh, the developments over the past few months. Uh, where did you see, uh, did, did you see any, for example, specific instances where somehow you didn't see such decisiveness or, or firmness coming from the Secretary of Health? Because again, this, I, I mean, uh, this, 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 this podcast is not meant to bash uh, the Health Secretary. My point here is that, I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Of course, yeah. the cabinet, isa dyan yung pinaka-medical professional talaga, di ba? the Department of Health. So, dapat siya yung ano, on top of the situation because we're dealing with the health crisis. Eh. Well, let's uh, look at testing, for example. Okay, You all, you all know that uh, sometime in March, before that, there was exactly one laboratory capable of doing PCR, yeah. right? So, I would have like to see a decisiveness there that said okay we need more than one mm -hmm. so let's put up 10 today 20 tomorrow and 30 the next day and we need to do whatever we need to do in order to make that happen I think that was obvious <laughs> because I think for a time they were only relying on the RITM right for the I think today as we speak there are now at least 93 or at least 90. Yes. yes. Uh, more than, more than yeah, 90. I think August 2, 93. Pero yun nga, hindi naman sa gusto natin balikan na uh, Dr. Cabral yung nangyari. Pero if you look at things, medyo mabagal, no? I mean, we could have done things so much faster so that we won't be doing a lot of catch-up today. Lahat naman ng tao nakikita yun na mabaga. Miski ako sinasabi ko sa mga Department of Health, I know you are doing your best. But at the moment, your best is not good enough. So you need to do your best some more until it is good enough. Mm. Do you still sense that somehow at this time, uh, we have more than 106,000 uh, confirmed cases. Uh, but somehow, do you get the sense that the government is losing control of the pandemic response? Because if you listen to Malacanang, they're saying that we are actually on the right track. But if you look at the numbers, somehow it's, it's difficult to, to just swallow that assessment coming from Malacanang. Yeah, well, again, there are numbers, okay? And people look at those numbers differently. We don't look at it as, uh, we don't look at 106,000 cases in the last five months as on the right track. Because half of that actually occurred in the last month or so. Mm. But they may say, Oh yeah, it could have been 100 million instead of 106,000. So we are on the right track. So it's a way of looking at things. Mm. And I think uh, if you listen to a lot of people, they are saying that we have no problems following the rules or following or, or going uh, being under lockdowns, right? Uh, but what they're looking at is a clear policy, a clear set of guidelines coming from the government. And I think this is what the, the medical societies were asking for. A, yeah. a coordinated and definitive plan of action. So far, do you see it? Yes. With something to look forward to, right? I, I mean, the incentive there is, folks, let's do this, sacrifice a little bit so that in X number of weeks, we will be in this particular place. Oh, but but do you see this? Uh, do you think we have a uh, coordinated and definitive plan of action at this point? May nakikita ba kayong ganun? Meron talagang plan of action. There is this nice um, national plan of action that was presented by the IATF uh, national implementer yesterday. And if you follow that and implement it properly, I think that we will actually be doing better than we have been. But 
the problem nga is in the implementation. It is um, everybody for himself when it comes to ground movement. Kasi hindi nakakarating doon yung resources, hindi nakakarating doon yung understanding of what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, I, I was able to interview Cavite Governor uh, John Vicrimulia. He also said something similar to that. Uh, that somehow he's, he saw certain directions as vague coming from the national government. And most of the time, local governments are left to their own devices. Although, to be fair to the government, we know that uh, the national government advanced the internal revenue allotment for one month, di ba? Pero siyempre, kulang na kulang yun. Eh, kasi isang, isang wave of ano lang yun, eh, uh, grocery support to, to the residents, eh. So, so yan, how, how, how do you think uh, this can be improved? Yung, yung coordination that even if you have a national action plan, how do you get local governments on board? Para they, they would be in sync. Yeah, well, for one, really, communication is something that we need to improve. Okay? Kasi ganit rin yan. Miski sa Department of Health nangyayari maggagawa ng napakagandang memorandum circular or administrative order ilalagay sa internet. Then, tapos na. The assumption is everybody is going to read what is there and follow. Mm-hmm. That just does not happen. Not everybody goes to the internet every day or even every week or even every month. Sometimes they don't have internet connections down in the fifth class municipality or something. So we need to make sure that our good plans are actually communicated so that they can be implemented. And the communication cannot be just putting it online or telling the regional offices about it. You need to monitor whether it has actually reached the people that it should reach so that it can be implemented or not. Now, we've heard the, the concerns coming from the medical frontliners, but we know that uh, in this very serious problem of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, we also have other frontliners, uh, including those coming from the uh, Department of Social Welfare and Development. And they have this very important task of, uh, they're involved in the distribution of the social amelioration program of the government, along with the local government units. Now, uh, how do you think uh, they are faring? I understand they also have a lot of concerns which may not have been necessarily uh, been ventilated uh, to the national government. Well, thank you for bringing that up, Christian. And let me tell you a story about that because I really think it is time for us to consider the welfare of other frontliners aside from healthcare workers. A few days ago, I got a call from DSWD asking if I could help because one of the drivers had developed COVID-19, was in critical condition, and could not get into any hospital because hospitals are full. So I was able to help that particular patient get into a hospital and get the hemoperfusion that was necessary to save his life. And I left it at that. But yesterday, I got a call from former secretaries, other former secretaries of the Department of Social Welfare and Development and some undersecretaries to a meeting to discuss the plight of the social workers in the Department of Social Welfare and Development. And what I learned is that these people who are actually frontliners, they're the ones who handle the locally stranded individuals, they are the ones who distribute the social amelioration funds and things like They're always the ones who take care of the poor who, and the vulnerable who are in crisis situations. So they're always exposed. But because they are not healthcare workers, they are not provided with personal protective equipments. And they are not given the regular tests that they should be given. Uh, So many of them have actually gotten sick, in some cases critically sick, like this driver was. Because even the drivers help out when they distribute relief goods or social amelioration funds and things like those. So 
these people are exposed. And really, I think we should start to pay attention to other frontliners, not just healthcare workers. Um, and the government must have a program for them also. The departments where these other frontliners are must allocate funds in order to pro protect their workers. And if they get sick, funds in order to take care of them and their families. Because as it happens, for example, this driver went to the hospital and his children and I guess his wife, his family, were all shunned by the community because the husband, the, the driver, had COVID-19. And they had no means of income because the driver was not working, as was not and they could not go and get any help from anybody. And that's how come I got the news about it. So. They're not uh, getting uh, as much benefits as the uh, medical frontliners are supposed to get? Uh, I don't think any mean, benefits at all. No I benefits at getting, all? How about hazard pay, for example? Yeah, I think they're getting an extra 500 pesos a month hazard pay when mm -hmm. they report for work. But other than that, there's no PPE? None. So, they have so, to buy their PPEs if they want to, even their masks, from mm -hmm. the 500 peso hazard pay that they have. So, so this goes to, uh, this is also the case for the other uh, social workers. Because you can only uh, imagine yeah. how difficult their job Sorry. is. They will, they will have to deal uh -huh. with a lot of people but during the pandemic. And they're also Absolutely. in danger of being exposed to the virus. Yes, even the city, municipal, provincial, social welfare workers. Have you, have you uh, spoken with the DSWD about this? By the way, for the benefit of, of our viewers, uh, Secretary Cabral uh, is also a former secretary of the Department of Social Welfare and Development. So, so have you communicated with the DSWD regarding this concern? Well, we communicated with the people who brought the problem to us. So we are looking to see what we can do for them. And that would include, of course, communicating with the current Secretary of Social Welfare and Development. Have you spoken with him? Not yet, because the meeting was just yesterday afternoon. Okay. Finally, uh, Dr. Cabral, <laughs> I'd like to ask you about this. Uh, earlier, we were talking about Secretary Duque, but now let's talk about President Duterte, uh, as of, of course the head of the government. Uh, recently, there was this uh, change.org petition uh, asking people to sign it. Uh, what they want is to actually uh, petition majority of the cabinet to declare the president as unfit <laughs> to discharge his duties. And I think they were citing the, the way the president uh, has been handling the, the pandemic, the statements that he have, uh, has been making, kasama yung kerosene as disinfectant statement. Siyempre, uh -huh. <laughs> one way of looking at this is that wala, ano lang yan, kalakuhan lang yan. You don't have to take that petition seriously. But on the other hand, if you observe closely, parang may point yung, yung petition eh. Because, uh, <laughs> I mean, this is the last thing that you would expect uh, from a leader in the time of a pandemic to make those statements uh, incoherent and somehow joke about something very serious. But what do you think of this petition? Well, I have not uh, read the petition, actually. I didn't even know that something like that existed. existed. But there is um, a, pro a process like that that the cabinet can resort to in order to remove the head of government if they felt that that is uh, what they needed to do. Now, this is, a ground, this is a ground movement, obviously. Some people think that this is what the cabinet should do. Whether it gets any widespread support or not, uh, I think that is the test. If lots of people sign that kind of petition, then the cabinet is going to probably take it seriously as opposed to if nobody signs up. Mm -hmm. I, I won't ask you anymore whether you're in favor of that. I don't want to, to, to put you on the but spot. I have not read the petition. So. Yeah, yeah. My, 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 my final question is this. Um, how do you 
somehow make the president or try to convince him to how do you convince him to somehow for lack of a better word eh, shape up in terms of uh, communicating at the very least about the about the crisis as yeah, we hear him talk uh, address the public every i think every first first day of the week diba lagi niyang ginagawa yan eh and usually taped uh, very late na, uh, in the evening tapos pag hindi natutuloy the following morning in the yung ano and then we're going to talk let's not sugarcoat this diba pero if you look if you hear him if you watch him delivering those statements napaka incoherent eh kung saan-saan napupunta yung topic i mean what should the the cabinet do for example including the health secretary to make things on it to make things better naman para i mean we would need inspiration at this time we would need direction we would want strong leadership firmness but also clarity and inspiration how do we get that that's a good question christian i have no answer to it <laughs> Okay. Well, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Esperanza Cabral, for joining us on this podcast. Uh, thank you uh, again. Thank you so much, Christian. It's nice to be here. Thank you. And that's it for this week's episode of Matters of Fact. I'm your host, uh, Christian Esguera. Now, if you uh, like the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or share this episode on social media. Uh, it helps new listeners to find us. See you again next week for another edition of the ANC Matters of Fact podcast. <music>